This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Stream stories from around the world, from sinister suspense to charming comedies and clever crime dramas like My Life is Murder, starring Lucy Lawless. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Shadow and Bone is a Netflix fantasy series based on a successful set of novels. It takes place in a world inspired by Imperial Russia rather than medieval Europe. There's a lot of lore to digest involving people who can wield wind and fire and shadow and light. And there's a chosen one who is prophesied to defeat a great wall of darkness and a bunch of charming rogues who are out for themselves. Now that all sounds familiar, I know, but there's enough here that's novel, even if you've read the novels, to make this series worth your consideration. Shadow and Bone recently returned for a second season, so we thought it'd be a good time to revisit our conversation recorded back in 2021 about its first season. It features two of our pals, All Things Considered producer Mallory Yu and NPR books editor Petra Mayer. Petra died unexpectedly later that year, but we wanted to encore this episode anyway. We always loved having her on the show. She was a tireless champion for stories like this one, and even though we will always miss her terribly, we hope you'll agree how great it is to hear her voice and her passion in our feed once again. After a break, you'll hear Petra, me, and the great and good Mallory talk about the Netflix series Shadow and Bone. Shadow and Bone is an eight-episode season based on a fantasy series by Lee Bardugo called the Grishaverse novels, Grishas being individuals with the power to summon and or manipulate various elements, metals, machines, even the human body. It's set largely in the kingdom of Ravka, which is bisected north to south by an impenetrable sea of shadows known as the Fold, which is full of ravenous monsters. We meet a military cartographer named Alina, played by Jessie Mae Lee, who grew up an orphan alongside her dear friend Mal, played by Archie Renault. Alina and Mal get separated, and the kingdom's military leader, the dark, handsome, and brooding General Kirigan, played by Ben Barnes, takes Alina under his wing because he believes her to be the Sun Summoner, a being who has been long prophesied to defeat the Fold and the monsters within it. Meanwhile, a group of rogues led by Kaz Brecker, played by Freddie Carter, conspires to kidnap Alina for money. Okay, that's a lot. Mallory, what did you make of Shadow and Bone? I really like the show so far. I am a huge sucker for mutual pining. So the mutual pining between Mal and Alina, total catnip. I like the love triangle thing that was going on. I am really into the thieves, Kaz and Jesper and Inej, especially Inej. So into them, in fact, that I always got a little sad when the scenes would cut away from them back to the little palace. I love the production design. The Russian influences and the costumes are a refreshing change from the British medieval design that we always get. I'm practically nerd-obligated to cosplay Alina or Inej at some point, so adding that to my long list. Um, I think the pacing works well, and man, everyone in the show is so attractive and fun to watch. It's engaging, it's entertaining. Um, I also love to see a high-fantasy property in which non-white people even exist, let alone exist as more than nameless foreigners. But I struggled with the way that racism and discrimination is depicted in the show, which I'm sure we'll get to later. I also found the world building um, in the show to be a little clumsy. Glenn, in your review online, you said you liked that we don't get the sort of meandering world building and the kind of Lord of the Rings opening monologue, which is interesting because... 
I wasn't familiar with the Grishaverse at all. I found myself kind of lost in the beginning on where I was, which I found kind of ironic since Alina is a cartographer in the beginning of the show. I'd be enjoying myself and then suddenly be completely lost. Like, where exactly are we right now in relation to the fold? Overall, I'm really into it and I'm really excited to be talking about it. Great, great. Now, you make, you you raise a lot of good points there. And uh, I was thinking about exactly that question. Why do I love that this just drops us in and goes as opposed to building this world? Because I haven't read the books and I approach this as a viewer. And I think the answer is the series priorities line up with my priorities, which is tell me the story, not the wiki. I've read a lot of reviews that say this is going to turn people off because there's so much lore and world building. But I thought it does a good job prioritizing the characters. We don't learn anything about this world that doesn't directly affect these characters. And so no scenes feel self-indulgent. And I thought the scenes start and stop where they need to. And it also, you, you spoke of the pacing, it moves to other characters when we have are growing impatient to see them again. I'll be the first to tell you, this is purely my take as a viewer I think that's the difference. I love the Lord of the Rings books, and because I knew the story, I knew what happened in them, when it came to watch the movies, I wanted all the self-indulgent stuff. I wanted the world building. I wanted the look, the feel. I wanted I shall go into the West and remain Galadriel. I wanted all that crap because that's what was new. That was novel to me. But this is my segue to one Petra Mayer who has read and loved these books. How did it work for you? It worked pretty well. It was one of these shows where when I was in the moment and and watching it and experiencing the, the beautiful production design and the beautiful people and the great casting, I was like, oh God, I love this. Uh, especially the Crows, our, our sexy heist trio, who so perfectly matched my headcanon from the books. And you know that's rare, right? Like you see something on the screen and you're like, that's not how he looks in my head. But Kaz and Inej and Jesper are so perfect. They look exactly how I thought they would. And they act exactly how I thought they would. All right. Royal Archives heist. Here's the game plan. Watchmen are on guard around the clock. We want to get in and get out as quietly as possible. That means the hardware stays in the holster, Jesper. Ugh, fine. Inej, the dome on the roof is directly above the repository where the blueprints to the little palace are kept. Got it. That's my way in. But kind of as I went along in the series, I didn't finish it until very recently, so I hadn't seen the last two episodes when I formed my original ideas about it. And there are definitely some changes and choices that the producers make that are different from the books that I have some issues with. Um, It's a little hard to talk about without being spoilery, so I will try not to be spoilery. But specifically, actually, in relation to what Mallory was talking about with Alina being half-shoe and the way racism is handled in the books... I think what is not clear and what we are missing a little bit in the translation of the world building, because I'm a world building junkie, right? And the world building in the books is so rich and so interesting. They may have pared it back too much for the screen because you don't really understand that Ravka is this small, beleaguered country that's caught between multiple enemies on both sides, and one of them is Shu, and they've been at war for years. So it makes some degree of sense in universe for Ravkan people to be hostile to people who appear to be from Shuhan. And you don't really get that. You don't get as much about how the Grisha do what they do. They're just kind of generic magic users who throw fireballs around. And maybe we'll get to some of that later in the series if there's a second season. Um, But lest I seem like I'm being too critical, I I really kind of loved it. It was close enough to what I imagined the books to be that when I was in the moment, I was just like, yeah, yeah, summon that sun, throw those fireballs. Yeah, do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it looks great. Uh, I think... 
basing it in sort of Tsarist Russia as opposed to medieval Europe, as we discussed. I mean, there's plenty of fantasy novels out there that do something besides medieval Europe as the jumping off point, but there haven't been that many that have come to the screen yet that do that. So this is one of the first that we've seen do that. The producers, as you mentioned, as you both mentioned, made a lot of changes. Some of them are woven into the series well. Some of them kind of stick out. And Mallory, this is where we're going to talk about uh, Alina as half shoe because I thought that did stick out. I like the fact that she is coming up against racism because everybody in this world is human and and you don't get that cop-out fantasy thing which is like, oh, well, the orcs hate the elves. That's my statement on racism. You get something where she has to deal with this every day, except she doesn't have to deal with it every day in a way that she probably should have to deal with every day. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. What do you, th- you make of that change to make this character half-shoe? Half I feel some type of way about all of this. Um, it's really exciting to see someone like Jesse May Lee lead a really sort of epic high fantasy show like this. So my issues with the discrimination in this show stem from the kind of lack of world building of the racism and discrimination. There's a scene early on in the first episode where Alina is in line to get food and she has a confrontation with the cook from her military regiment. What's a shoe girl doing here? I'm Ravken on the cartography team. She's off shoe, an orphan. So an answer. Back of the line, your friends too. I don't know them. Can you go? That scene made my hands shake. I talked about this a little on Twitter, but it reminded me of this moment when I was eight. I was on a road trip, tried to buy a candy bar in a gas station in sort of the middle of nowhere, and was called a slur. I didn't buy my candy bar, and I didn't tell anyone. And it sucks. And Jessie Mae Lee has talked about how people in her life have said that, you know, anti-Asian racism doesn't exist. And, you know, if if you have that kind of mentality, this show will tell you that racism exists, and it sucks. So on the one hand, I really related to Alina and how she would feel in these moments. And I think Jessie Mae Lee, by virtue of being someone who's probably had similar experiences, embodies the discomfort and rage and sadness that someone feels in those moments. But even after eight episodes of this show, I know nothing about the shoe other than they're the enemy. And they're an enemy that looks like Alina, who looks like me. And the show throws that in my face every five minutes with slurs and propaganda posters that look straight out of history books. It doesn't really feel fleshed out. Alina doesn't deal with her shoe identity unless someone is racisming at her, unless someone is calling her a rice eater or telling her her money isn't good here. I don't have context for Shuhan in relation to Ravka. The show doesn't really offer any context for why Shuhan is so reviled. So at this point, as someone who is not familiar with the Grishaverse, the only thing I know about Shu is that they're Asian. Ravkins hate them. So it feels like Shu is just shorthand for other in the same way that an Asian face in the U.S. is shorthand for foreign. So I'm starting to get a little weary of simply depicting racism as powerful or illuminating about our world. I don't really need to see a character racially targeted over and over and over for looking different. 
I kind of want the show to go a little further than that. Show us why Ravkins are wrong for this attitude despite the historical context of Shu and Ravka relations, not just because we like one half shoe person. You know, it's really easy for us to like marginalized individuals while still holding on to prejudice and bigotry for the group that they belong to. And right now, the series isn't doing enough to show that part of it. Yeah, I hear that. That seems like a change that was made in a kind of well-intentioned way, but it's exactly what you're saying. We can depict uh, racist attitudes, and that's us depicting race. It's not the same thing. And a sacrifice the show makes to prioritize characters over world-building makes the pacing of the show improve, but it does leave these holes, which you can look up online, you know, to the history of the world and all that kind of stuff. I found it useful to have a map of this realm because we'd be moving around all these different places and I wouldn't know where exactly we were. And it's kind of important when there's this big wall of shadow bisecting the place, you have to kind of know where you are because the whole thing is how do we get across the shadow? Well, you have to know where you are first then. Petra, the making of Alina Half Shoe is one change, but apparently there are a lot more changes as well. I When I heard that this thing was going to be about a chosen one who can wield light. I was like, oh, geez, maybe maybe next time. Mm-hmm. But that's the first novel, right? That's a pretty faithful depiction of the first novel, yes? It's a pretty faithful depiction of the first trilogy because there is a trilogy and two duologies in this series so far. General Kirigan in particular, they've given him a backstory, which I actually read came from a short story that Bardugo wrote, but I think kind of makes him much weaker, kind of Magneto-style origin story that just, eh. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Mal is much less of a drip. So having her, having Alina's love interest not be your standard, like, huffy, misunderstands things, can't deal with the fact that his girlfriend is way more powerful than him kind of dude. Uh, On screen, he's much more rounded. He's much sweeter. He's more supportive. He's really hot. Mm -hmm. So that's a positive change. (laughs) So Mallory, as you mentioned, the cast is diverse, slightly more diverse than the one we saw in the books. Um, and that's not something you, we see in high fantasy a lot, as you, as you noted. Does this signal a shift in the way we cast or, or write high fantasy? Petra, what do you think? Um, I think it doesn't signal a shift, but it's definitely part of one, because I'm seeing this happen with other shows that are in development right now. If you look at, for example, the Amazon adaptation of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series, they have definitely cast a lot of actors of color in main roles that weren't specifically written that. I mean, that is a very traditional sort of Eurocentric high fantasy. It has a lot of analogs of other countries, but the main action is pretty obviously set in what you're supposed to think of as kind of the shire of this world. And in terms of writing fantasy, there's just been this amazing wave in the past, I don't know, I want to say five years, but it's probably longer than that, of non-Eurocentric books by Black and Brown authors. And a lot of those people, like N.K. Jemisin, are getting TV deals now. So I do think This doesn't exactly signal a shift, but it's like the wave beginning to crest, and I'm excited for things that are coming. Well, we want to know what you think about Shadow and Bone. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH and on Twitter at PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Thanks to you both for being here. It was great. Yeah, always fun to be on. Thank you. This was super fun. And we will see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com NPR. 
Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from The New Yorker. Grab your coffee and join editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick, as he presents a mix of profiles and storytelling that the publication is known for every Tuesday and Friday on The New Yorker Radio Hour. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.